really, you know, messed up and heretical, just don't worry about it. Um, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. I promise you, I won't ever preach heresy in this class. I might kind of nod towards heresy and say, you might want to think about that. But I won't ever teach heresy in this class. Do you know, does anyone here not know what heresy is? Good. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you. Um, <clears throat> no. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Uh, heresy is a, a view of God specifically. It's not heretical unless you're talking about God. That is not scriptural. That's, that's what heresy is. Okay? That's, um, uh, which means that views of anything else that would be not scriptural may be error, but they are not heresy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Formal heresy is just having to do with the nature and the character of God. Does not have to do with any of the other stuff that kind of surrounds God. By the way, theology has to do with God as well. Um, and there's a whole lot of things that we would that we call theology that are not theology because they don't have anything to do with God. Uh, they have to do with the maybe other than like God does this sometimes. Um, yeah, I'm I'm getting off on a random bunny trail now, and I don't want to do that. Okay. Before I launch off, any questions, any thoughts? There is a, a word I want to teach you before we begin. Okay. It's a word that I wish I had a different word for this word, but I don't, and so I'm going to teach you this word. All right. The word is kairos. Okay. Do you know what that word means? I used to know it in knowledge and I'm the best at it, but I used to know it. Yes. It's a Greek word, it means time. Okay, there's two Greek words for time, chronos, which is minutes, hours, days, weeks, time. And there's kairos, which is like, at this time, we are no longer taking any more applications. Do you see how that, that time is different than what time is it, three o'clock? Does that make sense? Okay. That's Kairos. And the reason we're going to use it in this class, I think I might have to teach standing. That might just be necessary. The reason we're going to use it in this class is because it's a great way to talk about something where, inter where eternity has intersected your timeline. Okay. Where eternity has just kind of poked its finger through your timeline for just a moment. All right? So you're moving along, and all of a sudden, have you ever had a moment like that? Where you're moving along through life, and all of a sudden, God's like, hey! Right? And then you're like, what? What's happening? Okay? Maybe you had that happen during listening prayer a minute ago. Okay? A kairos is a moment where God kind of just you know, punches you in the face or shakes your shoulders or, or, or makes you see things in a different way. And the way that the guys that taught me how to use, that taught me this word kairos, the way that they like to talk about it is they, they, they would say a kairos is any time where there's kind of a, just, just uh, you become aware of something different. Okay. So sometimes it's an aha moment. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Sometimes it's an uh-uh moment. Okay. No, no, no. Right? Have you ever had that? Where you read something or heard something and something inside of you just goes, I don't think so. Right? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Have you ever had that? My wife gets really mad at me when I have those moments because I'm like yelling at the radio or the television or something and I'm just like, she's like, they can't hear you, honey. I'm having a Kairos, okay? And I say that to her and she goes, don't use those words on me. I don't, I don't like those words. Just put the Greek away, honey. She doesn't like it when I use them in church either. She, she sits on the front row and while I'm preaching, if I say something that, that she'll just look at me and go, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Which is very helpful for me. <laughs> I'm like, which means... And then I have to explain myself. Um, so, where, where was I? Okay, so there are aha moments. There are uh-uh moments. There are what moments. Okay? Where a question, a question bubbles up. What about this? Wait a minute. What about how can that? The question bubbles up. Okay, so aha, uh uh, what? Okay, these are kairoses. You're beginning to get the gist? And they're all kairoses. I always thought that this was, that, that God was only speaking to me when I had an aha moment. Okay? But it's not just aha moments. Sometimes it's a question, sometimes it's a definitive no. Sometimes it's right. And let me say this to you. This is going to be really cool. When you have one of those nah moments, okay, that might be your flesh reacting to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And it might be actually that you're wrong about that no. And that the Holy Spirit's trying to bring it to the surface. So it's he, he's letting you get all exercised about that. Like, <laughs> and God's going, I, one of my favorite things to do to people is to say things that are completely preposterous and they'll be like, but what about it? And I'll be like, but what about it? <laughs> one of my, I'm going to do that in this class all the time. For those of you that have been in here, uh, am, I, am I wrong about, about that? Don't I, love, don't I do that from time to time? I'm just, I'm just going to let you sit in your logic for a minute so that maybe you can figure out how completely flawed it is. Because you're smarter than that idea that you just put out here. <laughs> we don't question our ideas, and especially our ideas about God. We don't test them. I had a, I had a, a visionary experience years ago where uh, the Lord was beginning to lead me to test some of the ideas that I had about him. This was, this was five, uh, five or six um, uh, deconstructions ago. Um, is anybody familiar with that word deconstruction? It's a big word, right? Kind of in the zeitgeist right now. But um, uh, anyway, and I've gone through five or six of them. So, and like way before. I was deconstructing before it was cool. Let's just say it that way. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. 
but anyway, so the Lord was leading me to begin to question some of the ideas I had about God. And he showed me this tree, okay? And I was climbing on this tree and I kept climbing, and I would climb up and I would like, and I would grab a branch and it would just snap. And I'd be like, ah, you know, and thankfully I had like two or three other, you know, hold points. And, and, and as I kept climbing, the Lord was, the Lord said to me, I want you to climb higher, but you need to test every branch as you climb. And so I was, I was beginning to climb higher in the Lord, but, but I really had to put weight down on ideas. I had to see, does this really agree with God's word? Is this really, is this really true or is this just some guy's good idea? And sometimes a branch wouldn't break for a while, but then out here it broke. Because part of it was true, but not all of it. It's like the root of this idea is great, but where it goes is bad. Does that make sense? My job, I really feel like this is my job, and I think I maybe caused Nathan and some of the leaders in this group some problems, but I've always felt like my job in this class was to just step on every branch in your tree. Really. Just to put pressure on all of the ways that your ideas about God have gotten settled and tired and old and shake it up to to be the guy that that shows you that God's not in that box that you're nailing him into. That's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> hey, you got God in that box? Isn't that God over there? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then he just whispers in your ear, that's a pretty box you made. You're like, ah! Aren't you supposed to be in there? Uh, do you guys, did any of you growing up, how many of you grew up in church? Do you remember the song about the little red box? Anybody remember the song about the little red box? I wish I had a little red box. And there was, there was, there was, like to to put the devil in, <laughs> I'd put him in and shut the lid and never let him out again. Right? Like it's like, and then and then there was Jesus. Did I wish I had a box to put my Jesus in? I'd take him out and and never put him back again. But we so do. We always are putting Jesus back in our little red box. We like to control him, and he's not controllable. He's not a tame lion. Um. Anybody else uh, a C.S. Lewis fan? Are you here? You can't see me. I adore C.S. Lewis. Are you aware of how edgy he is theologically? I was not until the last couple of years. I'm truly. Edgy. He is seriously edgy. He still, to this day, is seriously an edgy dude. I mean, come on. Just go read the books. Anyway, he did not believe in penal substitutionary atonement, which blows my mind. He did not. You guys don't know what that is, but you will by the end of this year. <clears throat> he was a hopeful inclusionist, which even more blows my mind. Wow. I'm so in that camp now, and I didn't know that C.S. Lewis was preparing the ground for me to no longer believe in eternal conscious torment. 
Praise the Lord for that. Okay. I know I'm using words you don't know, and I'm doing that on purpose. Okay. Because we're not ready to get into that into that discussion just yet. It's too soon. Okay. All right. I want everybody to stand up. Shake it off. Reach up. That's exciting. All right, you can be seated. Once you've done that. Somebody pushed down on him so he... <laughs> If you're not if you're not limber enough to touch your toes at your age, you're in trouble. Just saying. Just saying. It said if you're not limber enough to touch your toes when you're how old are you? Yeah. Then you're in trouble. You're gonna be one of those old guys that's just like you know. Pick that up for me. You're gonna have one of those you know Walmart things where you got that like gripper. <laughs> I, I came around the corner at Sam's one time and there was three people in those little scooters and I took a picture of it and sent it to my wife and said, I think I just stepped into Wally. <laughs> and it was really funny because we knew two of the people. Oh. But anyway. <clears throat> uh, she was like, You are so bad. I was like, Look at this. <laughs> Come on, Wally. Remember Wally, where they were all in those flip those seats? I was just, I walked around the corner, it's like, Eva. Okay. All right, a history of the universe, history of God, mankind, and the universe. Are you ready? Okay. Before the beginning, in the beginning, before time existed, before anything other than God existed, we have God. Nothing else exists but God. And God is, at that time, the same person that he is now. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they are in infinite joyful, ecstatic communion and relationship with each other since eternity past. The book of John says they were face to face, eyeball to eyeball, enjoying one another in this beautiful dance of Father, Son, Holy Spirit that was before any word has been spoken, before anything has existed, and it's not possible to say this, but before time, that's not a thing. You can't say before the thing that creates befores. Does that make sense? Anyway. There is God. And God is God. God is infinite. God is omnipotent. God is perfect. God is glorious. God is 
deeply satisfied in his own being. God needs nothing. God needs no one outside of himself. And God Father is perfectly and sacrificially and endlessly loving his son, pouring all of his reality, all of who he is, all of what he is, all that he knows, all that he understands, out like 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 Niagara Falls out in love for his son and his son is pouring he wasn't Jesus yet but he was the son of God he's the logos he's the image of the invisible God firstborn of all creation he is I'm just getting excited right now oh you just don't know who Jesus is you just don't. Neither do I. That's what's so exciting. But here's second person of the Trinity receiving all the love of his father and giving it back. I love you. Perfect, unstoppable, fiery, passionate love pouring back to father from son. This, this incredible, overwhelming, intoxicating flow of perfect union and connection. There's no separation between them. And yet they are two and not one. Uh, two and, and, and one. How does that even work? We don't even know. That's so amazing. Why would you worship a God you can fully understand? If he's small enough to fit inside this puny brain, he doesn't deserve my worship. And we have Holy Spirit doing the same thing. The way that Jonathan Edwards talks about this. Jonathan Edwards is a Puritan theologian. There's a whole lot of stuff that he had to say that is malarkey. But there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> to be honest with you, if you've ever read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, oh burn it! Burn it down! That is the worst sermon ever preached on American soil. Let's just keep going. That's how I feel. Okay. I read it and just, that's one of those no moments that just, oh, how could someone who has such a beautiful understanding of the nature of God, the joy of God, then say, you're like a serpent that he holds over the flames. Whatever. <laughs> Go read it. It's really scary stuff. It's no wonder the people are like, I want to get saved. It's, it was really scary. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So. But it also set the tables for some really ugly stuff that's still banging around in the church now. And I just, that's why I don't like it. But Jonathan Edwards talks about God, the father, God, the son, and the Holy spirit in this way, the God, the father. <laughs> oh man, do I have time for this? God the Father, in his perfect existence, his perfect completeness, had as a part of his perfect existence and perfect completeness and glory, a complete and perfect understanding of himself that was so complete and perfect that it stood apart as God again. Right? Okay? That it stood apart as God again. 
but separate from God again, and that is the Son, the image of the invisible God. And that God's and that between Father and Son was this ravenous, unbelievable, incredible, overwhelming, passionate relationship that was so full of them both that it stood apart as God yet again, which is spirit. But that's all interesting and I don't know. I don't even know what to do with that. But it makes sense when you read some scriptures. Go read it. If you, if you really want a headache, go and just Google an unpublished essay on the Trinity by Jonathan Edwards and have fun with that. Okay, but this is this pre-creative God. Okay, and there's this incredible, overwhelming relationship. God, Father, God, Son, God, Holy Spirit. God is a community. God has never been alone. And God had no need of anything, but in the overflow of their of God's great joy, he wanted to love more outside of just God. That love was so strong and so vibrant and so real that it, he wanted to express it. And thus he created Okay, so out of, as a love gift, from Father to Son, Son to Spirit, Spirit to Father, Spirit to Son, Son to Spirit, Spirit to whatever, just, just keep, just, it doesn't even matter that the three giving this beautiful gift to each other. I don't even know how this works, but it's glorious. There was this thing that God did together as God called creation. And if you read Genesis 1, you see God, Father, God, Son, God, Holy Spirit, like intertwined, just working on it. It was a, it was a project they did together just to have some fun. For the very first thing, it says the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep, right? It's like right away. Well, there's God, the Holy Spirit, just getting stuff ready. The picture of hovering is a picture of a hen hovering over her eggs, covering them with her wings. I mean, it's brooding. It's settling over. Seeding life. Who knows what that looks like? I don't even know. But God creates... Oh, what I forgot to say, this is the most important thing. Before anything happens, God is love. Before anything happens... God in his nature, the purest, most beautiful way to see and understand God. And that thing which is uniform all throughout the entire nature of God is this one reality, love. God is love. That is who he is. That's who he is to his, to his outermost limits. That's who he is in the deepest parts of who he is. God is love, complete, 100% all the time in every way. Everything God does, he does because he is love. Everything that God is, he is because he is love. God is love. The greatest thing that you can understand about God, the highest peak of scripture is 1 John, where it says God is love, okay? This is who he is, okay? The highest peak of theology in the history of the church is this reality. God is love. And that's who God was before anything else was created. God is love. God is love. God is love. Can I say it enough times? No, I can't. 
can't because this is the this is the best description of the infinite uh, reality which we call God. If anything is not love, it's not God. So God creates out of his love. God creates all things. If we understand that God is love, then we must understand that he created because he is love. And love does that. You know, these little munchkins that run around. Okay. Where did they come from? They came from love. Why do you think God created it that way? Because he wanted us to see. You know that God could have done reproduction any way he wanted to do it. He could have used the stork. <laughs> I want you to remember that everything that exists in creation is either the direct creation of the one who is love or that creation that's been twisted and broken by the power of sin, which we haven't gotten to yet. Sin does not yet exist. Okay? That's good news, isn't it? Sin is new in comparison to God. Sin is new. Sin is new in comparison to creation. And there wasn't anything, anything, anything that was created by sin. We'll get there in a minute. Okay. So God is love. God is here. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Most important, God is Love, period. And out of his, out of the overflow of his own being, he creates this thing which we call the universe. He creates these, these creatures, these, uh, the, you know, places, all of this stuff. It's all coming out of this incredibly loving heart that God has. And then he culminates creation. The pinnacle of creation. Okay? Now, check this out because God has already created angels. He's already created Lucifer, who will later on, you know, whatever. But in the pinnacle of his creation, the final act, the pièce de résistance, right? That's the French thing. <laughs> the coup de grace. Okay, whatever you want to call it. All right. The final act, the culminating act, his, his encore was hum, human beings. God creates a creature that is just like him, which means, are you ready for this? God creates a creature which is also love. I'm on my head out. I'm going to the bathroom. Go and look. Genesis 1. What does he say? What does he say? Let us create man, what? In our own image. 
And in the image of God, he created man. If God is love, what are we? That is human nature. That is human nature. Human nature is love. The first thing God had to say about mankind was, they're like me. That was his first word on humankind, and it will be his last word on humankind. It was his first word on humankind, and it is what he is Oh, I'm not gonna I'm gonna get way ahead of myself. That was his first word on humankind. They're like me. This is like me. And he gave us a job because what happened when he created the universe is he created something outside of, of God. Up till now, everything that existed was God. Right? And when but when God created the universe, what he was creating was space outside the Trinity. Now, we also learned that the, that, that creation exists within the Trinity, that God exists everywhere and he's omnipresent and all that stuff. But what I mean by outside is he created something that was not God. There hadn't been anything until now that was not God. He created something that was not God. But it was saturated with God. It was filled with God. It was... And it smelled like God, it looked like God, and it, 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 it reflected God. And in the midst of that, he was built, what he was doing was building. See, this is what you need to understand about Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, first of all, is a poem. It's not a scientific treatise. Anybody that tries to get science out of Genesis 1, does not understand what they're reading. Would you get science out of Shakespeare? <laughs> no. That's not what it was for. Genesis 1 is a song. It's a poem. And it's easy to tell because of the way that it works. Go read it. Yeah. Wait, so I'm confused. Are you saying that we're supposed to interpret Genesis literally? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Here's what I'm trying to say. The Bible has many different kinds of literature in it. Okay? Many different kinds. And you don't read all the genres of, li of literature the same way. Correct? So are we going to read Genesis 1 literally? Yes. Literally as a poem. Literally as a song. It was not intended to carry scientific meaning. So people that would point to stuff in Genesis 1 and say, all that stuff that scientists are telling you controverts Genesis 1, you don't know if it controverts Genesis 1. So stop that. That's just silliness. What controverts Genesis 1 is if they say God didn't do it, God didn't have this purpose for it. God wasn't in the midst of it. If that's what they're saying, that controversy Genesis 1 for sure. But that's, that's all Genesis 1 has to say about how the universe came to be. It doesn't, it's not meant to carry specific facts about what happened at the beginning. It's not the purpose of this kind of literature. You wouldn't write uh, that kind of a song. Well, okay, it carries specific facts, but not specific facts about the how 
Does that make sense? Do you see the difference? Okay, if I'm going to write a song about my wife, and I'm like, she's got gorgeous green eyes, she's got curly reddish blonde hair, but I'm going to take blonde away because she'd be mad at me for saying that. And then, <clears throat> right? She doesn't like it when I remind her that she's a strawberry blonde and, and not a full redhead anymore. Um, yeah, she gets mad at me. But anyway, <clears throat> she has to know it's true. But did I give you her social security number? If I did, would that be weird? In the song? And her social security number is... No, you just said stop. Okay? And if I said... If I said... And nobody sings the song of Josh better than Rachel. If I said that, and they were like, Oh, she sings the song of Josh. That is not what that means, y'all. And everybody that reads it or that hears the lyrics knows that I'm not saying that she wrote a song called the song of Josh that she's now singing. Right? Are you all with me? Yeah. Or have I totally turned everybody off right now? Okay, I'm not saying there aren't facts in Genesis 1. There are. What I'm saying is we need to know what those facts are. So, does that make sense? I'm just going to go with it. Okay. <laughs> You're allowed to disagree with me, but I just want you to say, I, I want you to understand that this is not a scientific textbook. It is not the, the point of the, the people that wrote Genesis 1 were not writing it in order to show us the scientific formula for creating the universe. They weren't like, let's put E equals MC squared in there. No, that's not what was going on. The people that wrote Genesis, there's also something you need to understand as well, and this is, even, this is almost even more important. Because Genesis was a story that was set in the context of other creation stories. Okay. Genesis 1 was a story that was responding to and in, con in conversation with other creation stories. The creation stories that they were surrounded by. Okay, they were surrounded by the Egyptian creation story, the Assyrian creation story, the Babylonian creation story. They were surrounded by all of these other creation stories. And this story was saying, that's interesting. But let me tell you how our God created the world. Okay, when you're telling fairy tales, you begin with once upon a time. Right? Okay. When you're telling a creation story, there's the, the culture that, create, that created the book that we call Genesis had a specific kind of genre for creation stories, the way all creation stories were told, and they were following that genre, but they were putting in the little beautiful nuanced changes, the differences that came from a God who is love from a God who was so much different from any God that anyone else had ever encountered. And so they were telling a different kind of story. And the story they were telling was a story of a God who wanted to create a place, build a temple in which God and his creation could live together. If you read Genesis 1, and then you go forward, and you read in Exodus, where God is telling them how to build the tabernacle. And then you go even further, and you read 
in the in the later Jewish writings about when God was telling them how to build the temple, you're going to say, "Wait a minute. These match. These sound a lot alike." And you want to know why? Because God was building a temple. And how do you build a temple? You build the building, and then what do you put in the middle of the temple? Any other temple other than God's temple. What do you put in the middle of the temple? The idol. The image. The icon. God builds a temple and he finishes it how? Sure. But what goes in the Holy of Holies in Genesis 1? Not in Genesis 1. What goes in the in? The Holy of Holies, which was the Garden of Eden, what goes in the Holy of Holies at the end of Genesis 1? Us. <laughs> you and me. Why? Because we're the image of God. We are the image of God. It's our vocation. It's the purpose for which we were created. The purpose for which we were created was to image God into the rest of creation. So what God had created was something that was not God. But he wanted to put something that was so quintessentially God, right in the center of it, that whenever creation needed to connect with God, it could look back at this thing, and we are that thing. We are the image of God, we are the image bearers of God, and we were created for the specific purpose of bearing the image of God, which is love. So we were created as love. Objects of love and carriers of love. We were created specifically so that we could be formed to the image of the second person of the Trinity, so that we could be love in the world. The very presence of God in creation is the human race. Are you with me? Yes. All right, we're going to pause right here. Have you had any kairoses? Yeah. The last thing that you just said about humans being the like, image of God in the middle of the garden. Talk about that. solely to worship him and stuff so our kind of like how we thought the earth revolved like that everything revolved around the earth and we're like oh yeah it actually revolves around the sun so it's like not about us it's all about God and stuff and like even though I knew that like God loves us and that's the whole point of sending his son to die it was more about him and just I don't know I just didn't put as much importance on the fact that yeah. What do you think that does? That that misunderstanding about about how God feels about us. I've definitely had a hard time my whole life with the concept of love at all. Yeah. And then especially when it comes to God and I 
and I can tell you more about that later, but just like, I, that's definitely been very difficult for her because I'm still going through. Yeah. Just like dealing with concept of love and accepting it with the God. Which is really sad, right? Because we grew up, you grew up in church, yeah? So you grew up in church. The primary purpose of church is to teach us to love God and love each other. If anybody should have understood love, it should be you. But I'm a pastor's kid, and I'm in the same boat. It was a long time before I could, like people would sing songs about how God loves me and blah, 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 blah. And I would be like, that's cool. But it didn't mean anything. Until Jesus like walked right around all my religious crap and was like, I love you. Like that's, that's what it was like. I mean, it was just like, it was just like, <laughs> it was awesome. That's what it was like. It was like when my dad would grab me and just go blah, 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 like on my stomach, and I was just like, ha, 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 ha. It was like, what? It was this overwhelming, like, you know what I'm talking about? It was this, like, encounter that was just kind of my senses were overloaded. Until God did that to me, I didn't get it. I didn't understand. I was like, people are always singing about God's love, but I don't even really know what that means. And, and I don't know, you know what I mean? Like until until Jesus just came right through all that crap and was just like, I love you. I'm not the guy, not this guy, and I love him too. But I'm not talking to him, I'm talking to you right now. I love you. I love you exactly as you are. I love you without you doing anything. You don't need to change at all for me to love you so much that I would go ahead and give my life, but I'm getting way ahead of myself. You begin to understand that God is. Love! Right? Okay, so like... Okay. I just see God as this like, this incredible like fire. It's, he's like the sun and like love is just like out of him. You know that the, 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 the solar wind from the sun goes out beyond the furthest planets so far that you could put like the solar system again like three or four times inside the edge of the furthest planet and the end of the solar wind that's how i think of god like just the solar wind of god is just love just like just out into the universe and 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 people are like i don't know what it means that god loves me it's it's like it's like you know if you you know if you heard the whole thing about the the three fish right there was two younger fish and they're swimming and then an older fish swims by and says, how's the water today, boys? And the one, the two younger fish look at each other and they're like, what's water? Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay. But they, all they know, they've been surrounded by water their entire lives. They exist in water. They live and breathe water. But it has been so there constantly that they've never stopped to think, what is this stuff that I'm living and breathing? Come on, Jeremiah. That's the love of God. You're surrounded by it, penetrated by it, 
I'm going to quote Star Wars now. <laughs> it binds the universe together. <laughs> Love is the force, right? Okay, <clears throat> there's no dark side. Amen, glory to God. Woo, hallelujah. Okay. And I don't want to go on to the next part. I don't want to go on to the next part at all because right now everything's perfect. God looked at everything and was like, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. That's what God is doing. It's good, it's good, it's good. Wow, I did a great job. Look at all this. This is awesome. This is amazing. And God's like high-fiving Jesus. Great job, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's like, high-five, Dad. You know, and Jesus is like, high-five, Holy Spirit. Right? And they're like, look at that. This is amazing. This is so awesome. It's so beautiful. Don't eat that. Oh. Into this glory. I do have one thing to ask. <laughs> Were, was, now creation was good. Creation is still good. Into creation came the unlove. Okay? The unlove. At this point, everything that exists exists because of love. It is the outflow of love. It is, it is filled with love, saturated with love. It looks like love. It's just love in a different form. It's love shown through a prism so that all the colors of love are on display. Then that which is not love enters into the equation. That which is not love. Now there's debate, and this is an interesting debate, and I've thought about it a lot, and I'm not sure where I stand. I'm only going to sit for like five seconds, so I don't even know why I'm pulling this over here, but... Did Satan fall before Adam did? How do you know? Oh, what if the fall was both Satan's fall and Adam's fall? I don't know. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Because the fall of Satan is discussed in Isaiah, I believe, chapter 28, sure. and Ezekiel, uh -huh. and then later Revelation, but Revelation talks about the battle. Right. Because Satan, formerly Lucifer, was in heaven as God's worship leader, the whole yeah. jazz mm -hmm. and stuff, and then Revelation talks about the battle in heaven where he was cast down to earth. Right. So... In my mind, like if he was cast down to earth, that implies that formerly he was not in earth. So to be in the snake, he must have been on earth, and thus his fall would have taken place before Adam's, because then he's on earth in the snake and touched down. I uh, I got a couple points. Okay, one um, that the the Isaiah passage and the Ezekiel passage that we always kind of say are about Satan. We have no scriptural reason to believe those were about Satan. 
That, that's just a guess. Because it sounds like the Satan story that we have, but if that's where we got the Satan story, and that's why it sounds like the Satan story, then how do we know that it's the Satan story? So, <clears throat> because in both of those prophecies, God, there is a specific human being that was being prophesied to. Go look at it. A prophecy for the king of Moab. A prophecy for, okay, so those may not be about Satan at all. We don't know. There are people who think that, that you know, there's definitely scholars that are like, yes, this is about Satan. And, and maybe they're right. I don't know. Okay. okay, maybe they're correct. But maybe not. And two, the, the fall of Satan in the book of Revelation, uh, if you are a, and if you're an Assembly of God kid, then you are a premillennial dispensationalist, okay? That is not the fall of Satan that happened at the beginning. That is a later fall, which will take place at the end, where Satan is evicted from the heavens prior to God's judgment over the earth. Okay, so, <clears throat> yes. Because he's already the dragon, and he's already anti-Michael. So, yeah. Go. So my question is if Satan hadn't already fallen, then why would he why would he ask the question that he does to Eve, knowing that it's gonna lead to something that isn't right. what she is? So if he already knows that, why would he ask that? Because if he was already of love and staying in that, then why would he go against it? Well, when you read it, that may or may not be Satan actually processing out loud. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I have another thought related to your thing, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, but according to what Jesus says, like in the New Testament, like let he who causes one of these to fall relating to like his children's stuff, it'd be better for him to like then like. Yep, Tonight, millstone tied around his neck that, and thrown so into. Thinking that I don't know if that's actually a sin in itself or not, because he doesn't clarify. He just says it'd be better to die. Well, so in that, if that is a sin in Jesus' eyes, then technically he already fell. Right. What I'm and I, again, I don't know. This is just a question. Remember, I'm just stepping on all your on all your branches here. Yeah. Uh, um, and we're going to do this a lot. So uh, to where I'm just going to ask you, where do you get that idea? And if you don't know where you got it, then it's not your idea. It's somebody else's and you're just parroting it. Okay. And that's not a bad thing if you can back that up. I mean, there's, there aren't new thoughts, okay, really about God. The church has been a thing for 2,000 years, all right? And God's been around for longer than that. So it's not, it's not like we have, it's not a whole lot of new thoughts about God, but uh, you need to, you need to know the 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 history of that thought you need to be able to own it and the other thoughts that live around it are you with me anyway we'll keep going all right so however it happens this thing that was not love comes into the universe and it comes into the universe and adam steps out of agreement out of alignment with love and into alignment with not love. 
And the way that he does that, look carefully at the way that Eve is fooled. She begins by a simple question. Did God really say this? And then, then, oh, no, what God said is not true. Okay, there's nothing wrong with the question, but a direct, nope, wrong. You will come to know good and evil. Now, here's my question. Was there something wrong with Adam and Eve knowing good and evil? We got a no over here. Sure. <laughs> yeah. There is this place where we live with God, and that is we're receiving his love. So what is, oh, what is it to obey? Sure. What's behind that, though? If I'm going to obey you, There's something underneath that. Yeah. Trust. Trust. I'm trusting you. I'm believing in you. If I'm going to do what you tell me to do, I'm putting my life in your hands. And that's what love does, right? Love makes itself vulnerable. Adam and Eve were making themselves vulnerable to the wisdom of God. And God had said, don't eat from this tree. Do you think that don't eat from this tree command was going to continue forever? I don't know. Do you think it was the tree? that was different or the boundary God put around it? What? Was that fruit, was the fruit of that tree somehow supernatural? Or did God just pick a specific tree and say, just don't eat from this one? And it was the it was the rule and the transgressing of that rule which gave them the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, there it goes. There it went. There it went. Yeah. Okay. So something that always stumps me when I'm talking when you're talking about this is um, is the fact that and, and you asked it, um, which we won't know the answer to because you know 
would, would, have, would the tree have stayed there, you know, for, for as long as it's... Why is, would the rule have stayed there? Again, that too. But, like, ultimately, like, it comes to my mind that, like, eventually someone would have eaten from that tree. Because yeah. the way the world, the way popula- repopulation works, sure. I mean, let's say Adam and Eve and their children don't, but, you know, rules then fade over time. Mm-hmm. And, of course, like playing telephone, you know what I mean? That's just the way how we're made and it works. And like, you don't well, we already see it between Adam and Eve, right? Because yeah. God says don't eat. Yeah. When Eve repeats the rule to the, to the serpent, what does she say? Don't eat, neither shall you touch. That's not what God said. Yeah. So that, to, to me, that's what always stumps me. Is like, yeah, maybe the rule wouldn't have stayed, or maybe it would have. Either way, the tree being there, it would have. Someone would eventually have eaten from it. Yeah. So it just that always stumps me in that area that eventually someone was going to eat from that tree. So when we stopped trusting God. Because here's the carrot that the serpent held out in front of Eve. You'll be like God. Now, what what was the first thing that God said about Adam and Eve? They're like me. Eve was reaching for something she already had. And you would think that they would have decisions too. Yep. Like, to do this or not eat from it. Mm-hmm. And so, what did you think, like, a conviction would, like, come over them? Or, like, what? what? She was deceived. Okay? The seed of doubt was put into her mind. Was there something over here, and then we'll come back over here? Okay, but process out loud. Okay, I'm going to make sure I understood the last statement correctly. Yes. When you were asking on, so you said that, I mean, that humans, like, Adam and Eve were already made in in the likes of God. And so, with that being said, theoretically, in human knowledge now, they already had the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, I didn't say they had the knowledge of good and evil. Um, that's what my, that's where I was. I said they were already like God. Okay. I don't think she wanted the knowledge of good and evil. I think she wanted to be like God. And that was the temptation. But wouldn't, but wouldn't God have the knowledge of good and evil already? Like, does that make sense? Sure. They're, they were made in the image of God. Now, I would say there's some really interesting thought around were Adam and Eve complete? Or were they what God had created and set on a journey towards God-likeness? Like deeper God-likeness. 
Because you can say they're like God, but then they're going to grow up and to be even more like God. Because what God created was not a creature that does not change. God didn't create a creature that didn't change. God created something like him, and yet it changes. Because if he would have been, if they would have been like complete, they wouldn't have to doubt or the thought of being. Well, and they have to be able to change in order to have children, to do the things. And then when God created something outside of himself, he created something that changes, something that moves, something that's, that's, does that make sense? Okay. God was creating something that could change, which by itself was already an incredible creative leap because the only thing that existed before that were things that could not change. But see, here's the thing. God created us in love as love to grow into love. Go ahead. Go. Go. I was going to ask, <laughs> so you, I, I don't even know, because now we've kind of stepped away from it. So Go ahead. Go back. But, um, You're good. Whenever they were told to not eat of the tree that had knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. So... Correct me wrong. Did you make a comment that was like the tree itself didn't carry like, or the fruit itself didn't carry the good and evil? I just asked a question. Okay, well, because it it left me to ponder if um, they they walked in a life that was good, that was love, that yeah. was all of that. Right. So what they truly hadn't been like hadn't been introduced to hadn't known didn't need to know was the evil part right so if that's what we're saying god really didn't want them to eat that food for the fact of he didn't want them to know what evil was because they didn't need to i don't know that it was they did he didn't want them to know what evil was okay it was and this is my created from love as love to step further into love okay that there was yet a maturing process that they were engaging in and would engage in for the rest of eternity as we will all engage in it for the rest of eternity but i'm getting ahead of myself again okay that and that maybe sometime in the future god would have introduced them to the idea of that which was not love but at this moment, he was asking them to trust him and not go there. Does that make sense? That he was saying, and, and what Satan came along to do, and what he did do successfully was convince them that God was withholding something that belonged to them from them. Which caused them to react in a way that wasn't trusting, that wasn't love, and it was going right around their reliance upon God to get something for themselves. But love is not self-seeking. Love is always giving. It's always outward flowing. It's always about the other. 
Does this make sense? So when they did the opposite and grabbed something for themselves, I will do it for myself. I'm going to, I'm not going to trust God to do it for me. I'm going to do it for myself. I'm going to take it myself. They ceased to, the, their reality, their DNA, which was love, just got twisted, marred, broken. And the whole system of the entire universe got warped around that which was meant to be the center of this universe, which was humankind. The center is now off, and everything's going to spin funny now. That's absolutely true. And that's where we're going next. So don't get ahead of me. <laughs> Just real quick. Because we need to move on. It's almost time to be done. All my life I've been told and been taught that like God or that Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And so that's when they learned about the, the, the knowledge of good and evil. But the way you said it, or the question that you asked made it sound like you said mystical fruit. <laughs> that had some sort of magical power or um, capacity in it. But like the way you made it sound like the, the fruit could have, I mean, just for argument's sake, could have been just a regular apple, but it wasn't the fruit, but it was the act of disobedience that gave them the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. Because they were not aware of it before the act of disobedience. So it could have literally just been like just a regular apple. And well, and we need to remember that the Bible was not written in English. And the word knowledge it's the same word that will later be used when it says Adam knew his wife and she bore him a son okay so it means an experience of it wasn't that they were completely ignorant of the concept of good and evil is that they had never experienced good and evil. It's the interpreter's fault. It's the interpreter's fault. They may make me mad so often. I'm like, you missed this whole giant aspect of that reality. Where is it? Oh. All right. But... Now, I was told that we do not have pastor's prayer today, so we're going to go till noon. Is that okay with everybody? All right. Normally, we'd need to be done right now, but, we, but we've been gifted a little bit extra time, and that's good, because we're not even, we're, we're still just at, like, Genesis 3, okay? 
Last one about Genesis, about oh, this. Okay, I'm just going to ask, um, like, if God could see, because he knew of everything, if God could see, like, that Eve and Adam were going to be that, like, why didn't he just tell them? He did. <coughs> Don't eat from the tree. Don't eat from that tree. But, like, tell them why. <laughs> he did. On the day you do it, you will surely die. You will cease to be who you are. And that's what happened. Now, if you think about, we are image bearers. Yes, we talked about that. That's who it's what we are. We bear someone's image. So I want you to picture yourself as a mirror. All right? An angled mirror, okay? That's what you are. You're an angled mirror. You were created for one purpose, and that was to reflect something. When that angled mirror is pointed up at God and at me, I can look in the mirror and I can see God. Wow, it's God! But what happens when that mirror tries to reflect itself? You get nothing. You get nothing. Mirrors can't reflect themselves. It's not possible. A mirror cannot reflect itself. But that's what Adam and Eve were trying to do. Reflect themselves. And they were never created to do that. And so it messed us up and it messed everything else up because now the world is without the image of God in its midst and we're without our vocation. That which I was created to do is not working. <laughs> I always use the, you know, this thing in my hand right here was created to do a whole lot of things. But one thing it was not created to do is hammer nails into a board. And if I use it to hammer nails into a board, Guess what? It's not going to be I'm not going to be able to use it for anything else. <laughs> I will no longer be able to use it for that which it was created for. Preach. Are you with me? Yeah. Adam and Eve took their nature and said, "Maybe we should use it to nail things into a board." And in doing so, they crushed their own capacity to do that which they were created to do. Is this making sense? So it made it harder on them. Made it impossible. No. No. They can still love, but whatever. Man, have you ever experienced human love? It's great, but it's not. It's great, but it's tainted with selfishness. Isn't it always? It's beautiful. It's right. It's what we need, but it's tainted. It's still slightly broken. Right? We can still kind of reflect. We can still kind of love. But it's only partial. It's like a shattered mirror. I'm not going to get a good look at God through that shattered mirror, through that darkened mirror. Isn't that what Paul called this whole thing? We see through a glass darkly. Okay. We darkened it. Sin darkened it. That which is not love darkened it. And I want you to know that 
I, I don't like the word sin. I think the word sin has so much ugly baggage that we need to get rid of it. We need to come up with a new name for it. And I like using that which is not love because that's what sin is. Okay? The New Testament says, he who loves fulfills the law. Jesus said, your, your righteousness had better be greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees because the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees may, may, it may meet the letter of the law, but there's no love there, so it's not real. And the Apostle Paul says, Hey, I may do all these amazing things. I may be this amazing person. I may have all these super spiritual gifts and powers. But if I have not love, I have nothing. Why? Because this is the point. Love is the point. It's always been the point. will always be the point. God is love. And until we are love again, we will not be who we were created to be. So, because we don't have a ton of time, I'm going to skip through... The whole process of God's, I, want to, I do want to do one thing. <laughs> I want to do one thing. Let's talk about Noah and the flood. Can we do that for just a minute? What happened? What the heck happened? Okay. Man got uglier and uglier. Continuing to try and reflect ourselves and not God. And, and so the world became this horrifying place, marked and marred and destroyed by violence. And the Bible says that the earth became ruined, unlivable, destroyed, marred to the point where human life and animal life could no longer continue. So what does the God who is love do? The God who is love says, in order to, to keep the ones that I love alive, I'm going to invite humanity to sit, who broke all this in the first place, to save some measure of life. And I'm going to wipe the slate clean and I'm going to remake it and it won't be as good as it was, but it'll be better enough that life will be able to continue on the planet, including human life. So he calls a man named Noah and Noah's family. And he says, here's my plan. We're going to build an ark. You're going to get on the ark. But while you're building, you're a preacher of righteousness. And you're going to be calling human beings to come back to their vocation of reflecting me. Come back to love. You're going to be doing that the whole time you're building this ark. And that's going to be a while because it took him like a hundred some years to build the ark. Okay. And he's standing there preaching. God's going to destroy everything, but he wants to save you. So come with me. And they didn't hear him. The only ones who got on the boat were, the, were his family. People he could directly order. Get on the boat! That was it. And there was a couple of them. Maybe he shouldn't have ordered them. <laughs> what would have happened if the world would have responded to Noah's message? 
if men, women, and children would have heard the voice of Noah and repented. Maybe two arcs, maybe five, maybe a thousand. Maybe no flood at all. Maybe God would find a different way. You know, we saw it happen in Nineveh with Noah, didn't we? Or with Jonah, didn't we? Here's Jonah, prophet of the Most High God. Repent, repent, repent. What happened? They did. Jonah gets ticked. But did God destroy Nineveh? No. Too often we see in the in the art story a ticked off God that's like, I'm going to kill everything. Well, okay, I kind of like this guy. So get on this little boat and the pretty little animals because they didn't do anything wrong. You sweet little puppy little animals. Get on the ark and I'm going to kill everybody else because you're ticking me off. Is that what was going on? No, that's not what was going on. I want to ask you this too. Why did Adam and Eve have to leave the garden? Why did Adam and Eve have to leave the garden? Don't forget that God is love and everything he does, he does because he is love and he does for love's sake. Why did Adam and Eve have to leave the garden? Yes. Because there was, there was a magical tree in the garden, even if it wasn't the knowledge of good and evil one. It was a tree of life in the garden. When they had begun to partake of that which was not love, death began in their being. Because that's what happens. God is life, and all that harmonizes with, connects with, and is aligned with God will be full of life forever. But that which is disconnected, that which is distorted, that which is broken and cannot receive the life of God begins to die. Adam and Eve had begun to die. And if they go and they artificially prolong their life through the tree of life, they would have prolonged a broken, twisted, (laughs) disgusting version of humanity. Trapped in immortality and dying at the same time. And God said, get out of the garden. And he put the angel there with the fiery sword. This wasn't God going, I don't like you anymore. No more tree of life fruit for you. (laughs) Any Seinfeld fans? No soup for you. No soup. That's not what was going on. God was pushing them out. God was like, we're on a break. I'm just kidding. That was a friend's reference. That was for you. Okay. <laughs> that isn't what happened at all. <laughs> God said, I don't want that for you. So I'm removing you from the garden. And life outside the garden is going to be rough, but it'd be better than this. So go. And then God has to remake the earth through the flood. So he does. And we still screwed up. And in the fullness of time, there came a man. Yes? Okay, so the question about the, the flood. Um, 
Okay, first of all, I want to say Evan Almighty was definitely not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> my man, like four weeks. Years. We're not going to talk about Evan Almighty. Um, the second thing, I, I remember some, this may not be accurate, but I remember someone told me that prior to the flood, it had not rained on the earth. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that's what it says, although, uh, well, anyway, go ahead. Okay. That's, that's just the question. That it hadn't rained on the earth prior to Noah's like, yeah, there's going to be a flood. It's never rained, but there's going to be a flood for a hundred years. Where was it said geographically? <laughs> that's, my, that's my question. What? We have no idea. Just none. The first time, now, I mean, there are some descriptions of, of the rivers that come, in, that, that come into Eden. And they are rivers that exist now, okay, but they don't touch each other, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and this was supposedly, these four rivers came into Eden at the same time, um, but they aren't even geographically, they don't touch one another in our current world. So either those rivers that were named that then and then the flood came and rerouted every single water course in the plant on the planet. And so and they just renamed some other rivers the same names. Yeah. We don't know. That's where that's where the flood theory comes in for me because I know the, the, the big thing about the flood theory is, is everything was set a certain way and then some giant body of water which is the only thing that could ever redirect anything like that, change land size, change the land masses that big, anything like that. It'd have to be a large mass of water to, to cause those things from just from just the way uh, biology and stuff like that works, like erosion and abrasion and all that stuff, it, it'd have to work because something huge, you know, rubbed up against it for, for a good period of time and caused changes. And so for me, that's, that's where the big, what if theory, you know, what if thing comes in because all these geographical things that you hear about growing up learning and everything like that, and then, you know, the flood comes in and just takes all that, you know, so we'll never know, you know, type thing of yeah. what actually was there. So, so. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure what to do with the flood right now. <laughs> We're allowed to have big question marks. You're allowed. Leave them. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, truly, it, I, it, if you don't, it, please don't pretend you know something that you don't. That's dumb. Don't fill in the blanks with your ignorance. You're just going to do everybody a disservice. Okay. It's there. It's in Genesis chapter 6. I don't know when it happened. I don't know how it happened. I don't know. I just know the story's there. I'm going to learn what I can from the story, and I'm going to move on. Does that make sense? Do not sweat the details. It is okay not to know. Yeah. Right away? Well, yeah, but God still wanted humans on the planet, so. They're intelligent. The reality is Adam and Eve were probably more intelligent than we are, not less. They were probably, and then, and then, you know, they had, uh, they were, they were, 
more genetically perfect than we are, <coughs> theoretically, okay? So they probably, I mean, Adam lived to be like 800 years old, right? So, I mean, um, the dilution of the human race in a world where things weren't perfect, where sin was present, where the flow of God life, which came through alignment with God through love, was absent. We, we got worse and worse and worse until the last couple hundred years. I mean, human life expectancy got shorter and shorter and shorter. 150 years ago, the regular life expectancy for a man was about 47 years, which means that I would be really old because I'm 41 and I have six years left. Okay? Not cool, right? But then we have Methuselah, who lived like 969 years, right? In fact, he most likely died in the flood itself. It's kind of sad. I mean, how long could have he lived, right? <laughs> ah, Methuselah! I would have called him Thuz. Um, all right, so God... God set in motion this plan, this plan to restore humanity to what it was created to be. And that plan began with this guy named Abraham. Actually, his name was Abram at the time. God never, let me, I want you to hear this <laughs> sentence. This sentence is radically important. When God wants to do something in the world, he creates a family. He creates a community. Abraham by himself could not change the world, but Abraham and Sarah could. And Abraham was meant by God to be the new Adam and the new Eve in a way. Okay, he called them back. Abraham and Sarah, I want you to come back to your vocation of reflecting me into the world. You're not going to do it perfect at first, but I'm going to teach you and I'm going to draw you in. And you're going to have this family and I'm going to teach them. And even though God called them to that vocation again, they were failing all the time. God was okay with that. He was beginning again. Because at the end of this, out of Abraham's line, would come the one who would perfectly reflect love into the world again. The one we call Jesus, who was God himself in human flesh, born of a woman, here's what you have to understand. God had to inhabit creation again by becoming a creation. I like to say it like this. God made our problems his problems. Okay? God can no longer be considered distant and far away and not understanding. Now God was you. God was an infant. God was a child. God was a pimply-faced teenager. God was, okay? He has walked through the drama and the difficulty of human life. And as he went, he was imbibing and restoring and pushing back out through his life a chance to be restored again to our initial vocation. I keep using that word. What does it mean? Anybody know? Vocation. What does that mean? It's your job. It's what you do. It is how you spend your time, your life. 
is our vocation. And the human vocation, that which we were created for, the purpose for which we were created, was to reflect God into the world. And no one did it perfectly again until the next Adam, which was Jesus Christ. We had one Adam, and now we have another Adam. And this other Adam does it right. And he does it right from beginning to end. And he reflects the love of God into the world most perfectly, most beautifully, most brilliantly on the cross as we killed him. Do not let anyone tell you that God killed Jesus. Jesus was God on the cross dying for us. We committed deicide. We killed God. The ultimate crime of human history committed by you and me was our salvation. Jesus came and Jesus showed us what God's love is really like perfectly for the first time since the creation in the first place. Jesus showed us what the love of God was really like, all giving, all forgiving, perfectly sacrificial, co-suffering love. Love doesn't write a check. Love shows up. That's for all of those people that love to talk about how horrifying uh, short-term mission strips are. There's a whole lot of that going around right now, guys. You're going to read it somewhere on the internet at some point. People saying, think again before you go on that short-term mission strip. And I'm going, uh, Jesus took a short-term mission strip. It was called His Life. Love doesn't write a check. Love shows up because there is a difference between the, the offering of resource and faithful presence. And as Jesus died on the cross, he took death and sin and he held on to them like Gollum holding on to the ring and dropped into hell and killed death by death and killed sin by death. And the power of sin and death, which began at the fall, its end began as Jesus died and the beginning of a new creation began as Jesus rose from the dead the resurrection of the universe began as Jesus rose from the dead because when Jesus died the universe died when Jesus died all mankind died and in Jesus' resurrection, the universe and all mankind 
were resurrected. And the resurrection of life of God is now manifest through the death and resurrection of Jesus into all of mankind by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some will say yes to it and some will say no to it, but it's there. Some will participate in it and some will shun it, but it's there. Here's a beautiful thing you can say to absolutely every person you meet. Ready? This is really cool. Okay. Hi. Jesus already forgave your sins. All right. Here's how forgiveness works. If you did something to me, what's your name? Ross. Ross, you did something to me, Ross. Okay? Mm -hmm. And I forgave you. Can you stop me? I mean, no. It's no. your choice. My choice. Yeah. So I'm forgiving you. Whether you accept my forgiveness or not, I'm still forgiving you, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's how it is with God, too. That's how forgiveness works. God's already forgiven all of mankind. Jesus Jesus canceled sin. He's forgiven all of mankind. He's not holding man's sin against us. But does that mean everybody is going to heaven the minute that they die? Oh, no. <laughs> no, why? Because we still have a choice. And our choice is participate with what God is up to or not. Receive God's love and forgiveness or not. Say yes to the new creation, to the recreation of all of the universe, or stay in death. Those are our choices. And when you preach it that way, it's a whole lot different now, isn't it? Because when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's close. It's here. It's near. Repent and believe the good news. That's what he said. What he was saying was this. New creation is beginning now. It began the moment that Mary became pregnant with Jesus. New creation has begun. And you can be on this train or off this train, but it's moving. So get on. Do you want to live forever or not? Why would we live forever? Because we're stepping into participation with the love of God. And the love of God is going to perfect our cracked and broken mirror. Slowly but surely. You see, Jesus is the guy whose mirror never broke. And his wholeness is melting down all of our old mirrors and reforming them. His death is, is fixing that broken mirror so that once again, we can begin to fully reflect the love of God into the world. And as Romans 8 says, all of creation is waiting with eager anticipation. There's a flicker of resurrection here. It's not just her resurrection. It's mine. Now, that verse is saying, 
Sin is making me fall down, <coughs> making me crumble and crack and waste away. But there's a flicker of resurrection in there. And when that flicker becomes a flame, it's going to remain mercy. When it goes from the inside of you and becomes and moves outside of you through you, everything will be made new. Because that's God's end. That's the end. That's the future of mankind. That's the future of the universe. That's the future. The future is you become who you were created to become. A reflector of the beautiful nature of God, which means you become love again. Who's in? I'm in! Amen? Alright, well it's after 12 o'clock, believe it or not. Final questions, comments, queries, kairoses. Yeah. Okay, so, oh. <laughs> we'll start back here, and we'll come up here. Uh -huh. um, the whole thing about this spirit hovered over the deep. What is the deep? Because he didn't hadn't created anything yet. Okay. <laughs> the ocean in all of the Old Testament and some in, some in the New. There's a reason why Jesus walked on the water, and you're about to find out what it is. Okay? The ocean, the sea, in the whole of the Bible is a metaphor for chaos, death, destruction brokenness emptiness well there's there's a whole lot of questions to that some people would say oh it wasn't that there was nothing created yet that there had been a previous creation that god had destroyed because of sin and now god was starting over some people say that but there's no point because sin entered the second if supposing yeah but he destroyed the world in the flood didn't he <coughs> maybe that wasn't the first flood what if there was other floods? Okay. <coughs> now, does the Bible say there were? No. But the Bible does say that God's like, I promise never to flood the earth again, which kind of sounds like, I know, it's been six or eight times now. I won't do that again. Right? Okay. And we don't know the history of Satan, and we don't know the history of the angels, and we don't know that we don't know. So it's entirely possible that what's being pictured there is Satan... I mean, is Satan, the Holy Spirit, hovering over what was creation and is now dead? I don't know. Here's, here's my, one of my favorite questions to ask. So God recreates the whole universe. Yay! Happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy. Okay, beautiful, awesome. Thus shall we always be with the Lord. What's next? Like after the second heaven? Or yeah, currently? what's next? We get to the end of Revelation. Everything's beautiful. Behold, I make all things new. What? What's next? What if God does it again? What if we're the angels this time? What if God's like, next time, Mars? 
right? I don't know. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. I'm not saying the Bible does say that. What I am saying is, understand something. The Bible is. The Bible is a huge and complicated book, and it still doesn't tell us everything. But it's true. There's so much. Do you know how much the Bible has to say about angels and angelic beings? Next to nothing. Do you know how much the Bible has to say about what happens after we die? Almost nothing. Almost nothing. The New Testament is not concerned with what happens after we die until the resurrection from the dead. But there's a whole lot of time. In between those two things, the Apostle Paul is still dead. He has not risen from the dead yet. That was 2,000 years ago. And Paul right now is probably going, I probably should have put something about this in the Bible. That would have been a good idea. All we've got, all we've got from Paul was to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's it. And we've got, you know, Jesus saying to the thief on the cross, today he'll be with me in paradise. So apparently it's not going to suck, but we don't know. That's it. That's it. There's a, it doesn't say anything. So any of these people that are like, they're like, the Bible tells us about heaven. No, you're not reading scriptures about heaven. You're reading scriptures about the New Jerusalem. You're reading scriptures about the New Jerusalem in the millennial reign. You're reading scriptures about it. And then those are not it. You know, the Bible does not say there are gold streets in heaven. It doesn't say that. It says there's gold streets in the New Jerusalem. And that's not the same thing. And the fact that you think it's the same thing means you're not a student of the Bible. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Aliens in heaven. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh huh. <laughs> I have no idea. If there was aliens out there. Yeah. And God's. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So this is beyond, obviously beyond all of us. And it could be one little, it could be, I don't know. Okay. So what if, you know, like, there's always been that question. It's been kind of a comical question. Like, there's, like, the different planets, even though we don't know, because God is also doing this on other planets. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, this is one overall, like, grand scheme of everything so like i don't know our stereo our our image of an alien you know would be like the green you know everything like that and god created us in his own image but like i don't know some <laughs> do you think that when god created us in his own image means that god looks like me or like you no like physically See, that's, that's that's the thing is it, do you think that like there's different variations of his own image when it comes to like different beings? <laughs> like I don't know. Like if it's heaven and there's like people without noses from different planets. You know yeah. What I mean? Why not? I, exactly. That's entirely possible. I I don't know. I I have no idea. I will say this. What we've got to remember, and if I accomplish nothing else in this class, I want to accomplish this. No, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, if I accomplish nothing else in this class, I want to. I want you to believe that God is love. If I accomplish nothing else in this class, I want that. But if I get two things, is I want you to expand your imagination. 
I want you to recognize how little we actually know. And I want you to let the questions live. And I want it to be okay that we don't know. I, I want that. I want that for all of you because it is so important. Because I have seen so many people your age and a little bit older who have bumped up against an I don't know that they thought was a we know this for sure. And they begin to question it and then their whole faith unravels. Because if that's wrong, then the rest of it must be wrong. And I can go sleep with whatever I want. No, no, no. Which is usually why they begin questioning because they want to start doing things that the parents told them they weren't allowed to do. It's really about, I want to follow my loins. That's really what it's about most of the time. I want to get really drunk all the time. I want to do drugs and I want to sleep with random people. And so I'm going to start questioning God. That's usually where it comes from. All right. But the honest ones who are like, I don't know. Okay. Like right now, there is a huge issue that is messing with people your age more than it ever has in the history of mankind. And that is what is God going to do ab about transgender people, LGBTQ people? What, what does the Bible have to say about that? And what is God going to do? That's a huge question. And there's a whole bunch of people that that question has knocked over the dominoes of deconstruction. And all of a sudden they find themselves without any faith at all because of this one question. And I want you to be okay with I don't know. Even in questions that other people would stand up at pulpits and say without any hesitation, we know that this is exactly how it is. And I want to go, no, you don't. Sit down and shut up. Because there are things we know. Absolutely there are. God is love. This we know. God is perfectly revealed in Jesus. This we know. We will rise from the dead. This we know. Okay? And the church, a couple thousand years ago, decided to write down some things called creeds that contained in them the things we know. And if it's not in the creed, it's because it's not perfectly clear from Scripture. So we believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. In Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, was uh, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. Do you even know about that part? He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He is, uh, And he is seated at the right hand of God, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Christian Church. We believe in the communion of the saints. We believe in the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting. That's it. I just quoted the Apostles' Creed. For those of you that don't know, you need to learn it. That's it. Everything outside of that is a conversation. Did you hear what's not in there? The church's favorite four-letter word? Hell is not in the creed. Just saying, just putting it out there. Not because we don't believe in hell, but because the Bible is not perfectly clear about the nature of hell. It's just not. Trust me on this. Go look. The Bible's not incredibly clear on the nature of hell. Trust me on that. There's going to be a lot of preachers and a lot of them AG preachers that are going to tell you exactly what hell is like. And they know exactly how you get there and exactly how long you're going to be there and exactly what happens when you're there. All of that. 
All of it, all of it. We believe that hell exists. We believe that hell is the place where the people who have not responded to the grace of God will go. That's kind of it. We don't know what's there. We don't know what it's like. Not really. We have some guesses. We have some nods. We have some nudges. We have some maybes. But that's what we've got. Because the, the New Testament's not really concerned about hell, to be honest with you. Not one, not one evangelistic sermon in the New Testament mentions hell. So maybe we've been talking too much about it. Let's be done now. Y'all with me? Yeah, it's a quarter after 12. I don't want to keep you any longer than you want to be here. If you want to go, you may go. I'm going to stay here. And I'll keep talking so long as people want to hear what I have to say. Go. Twenty-three minutes in hell. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's all I got. It's interesting. Don't build your life on it. It's not Bible. I don't know. That's where I am. I don't think any animals could talk any more than they can now. I think Adam and Eve, in their perfect attunement with creation, could understand. And there's a difference. Not Dr. Doolittle. It's not like that. But animals talk to each other. You know, I mean, they don't really talk. They communicate. They don't have, they don't speak English or, you know, anything close to that, but they communicate effectively to one another. And I think Adam and Eve probably had a. What language do you think they spoke? Adam and Eve? Yeah. I have no idea. See, here's my logic on that. Because animals, like you see them, like Adam named. Yep. Yep. He did. Okay. Yep. And so, like, my.